Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. And tonight we're in Genesis chapter 11. Let's turn our Bibles there, Genesis chapter 11. And we're going to be looking at the Tower of Babel. You could call this the Tower of Terror, maybe. It was an attempt by mankind to do something grand, but they did it really without God. And whenever you do something without God, it will always bring confusion to your life. So here's what God said. Backtrack with me. Genesis 9, verse 1, and let's pray. Father, as we come before your holy word, we thank you for the message of scripture. We thank you that it explains so much about life and what's happened on the planet. Thank you for the hope that you bring us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that he entered time and space to save us. And as we study your word, we need the help of your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. So give us ears to hear, a mind that's ready to receive, and a heart ready to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now God, uh, Genesis 9-1, blessed Noah and his sons, this is after they embarked the ark, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So that was the command. And then in Genesis chapter 10, we saw the table of nations and how the different nations were laid out. If you look at verse 32 of chapter 10, it says, these are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies by their nations. And out of these, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. So we looked at a message last time after the flood, and we looked at the disbursement of the people groups as they went out over the whole earth. Now the whole earth, Genesis 11 verse 1, use the same language and the same words. Now Genesis 10 and 11 are not necessarily chronological, they are thematic. And sometimes what you'll find as you study the Bible is that you'll find a chapter follows another chapter, so you would conclude maybe in a Western mindset that that means they're chronological, but that's not always the case. In fact, Genesis 10 tells a story of uh, Nimrod. We saw him come up in Genesis 10, verse 9, and Babel, if you go back uh, for a second, uh, let's uh, look at uh, Genesis 10 and look at verse 8. Now Cush became the father of Nimrod, and we explain that Nimrod's name means rebellion, or we shall rebel, and he became a mighty one on the earth. Genesis 10.9. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erek, and Akkad, and Kalne, in the land of Shinar. From that, from that land he went forth into Assyria, and built Nineveh, and Rehoboth, Ur, and Kala. Now, he was the mover and the shaker behind the Tower of Babel, and his name means rebellion. And what he built was a ziggurat. He built something like an ancient pyramid. And if you Google ziggurat and you begin to look at images of ziggurats, you'll find that they have kind of an outside uh, stepping stone design. And the steps go up in almost a pyramid shape and they begin to reach towards the top. And so this is the story of Genesis 11 as we'll just look at the first nine verses. But here's the backstory: The whole earth at this time used the same language and the same words. So we're going to understand now how we get variations in these. We've already seen, seen the ethnic lines, but we're going to learn now about the languages. And 
At one point in man's history, there was a common language. Everybody spoke the same language. Some scholars believe that that language was Hebrew, that that's actually God's language. And that if you look at the original dialects connected to the uh, people groups that belong to the line of uh, Seth and Shem, you would find that that seems to be the case. At least there's, the, there's a connection there. So the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And this is the, uh, the story of mankind as they begin to uh, come together around the tower. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. That was already mentioned about uh, Nimrod. And they settled there. So they journeyed east and they begin to migrate out. And this, this focus now seems to be on the Hamitic peoples. And they are journeying out. They're connected to this man, Nimrod. And he seems to be a leader of rebellion. And they're going out to this plain. And they find this plain as they journeyed east. One writer has mentioned that the mention of journeying east suggests movement away from God. When Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, cherubim guarded the entry at the east of the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.24. When Lot left Abraham, he traveled eastward, where he met disaster in Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 13, 10 through 12. Abraham's sons by his uh, concubine Keturah were sent away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country, 25, 6. Jacob fled his homeland to the land of the people of the east in Genesis 29, 1. So it seems that there's something to this whole eastward movement. It's a movement, if you will, away from God. That's why the old saying came up, go west, young man. That's where that came from. Did you know that? No, it's actually not true. It's not where it came from. But, but it sounded pretty good at the moment, didn't it? Anyway, <laughs> so they were journeying east, and they found a plain in the, the land of Shinar, and there they settled. Now God was telling these people to go out. He was telling them to migrate out. Yet they found this plain and they settled. And they said to one another, verse 3, Genesis 11, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. So this people group found a spot. They found a spot in the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian plain. It looked good. And they said, it's time, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone and they use tar for mortar. Now, when we do a little research on this and you see um, kind of the area immediately around Israel, it seemed like there was uh, stones and plenty of them for building, but there were some locations where there wasn't a lot of stone. So mankind had to come up with a plan, and mankind came up with a plan to make bricks, and they made bricks out of clay, and eventually, during the uh, progress of man, they found that if they burned the bricks, first using the sun and then moving to a kiln, they could make a durable building product. And so they did. And mankind had ingenuity, and we can see that from the early chapters of Genesis, that there was wit and inventiveness among early man. There was no, there's no record in the scriptures of cavemen and that kind of thing, and you know, the guy in the Geico commercial and that kind of thing. No. Man was very inventive, and, and when you see structures like this from the ancient world, they're, they are, they're actually ancient marvels because when archaeologists look at stuff like this, they wonder how in the world did these people build these things? How did they come up with the, the designs and the architecture and the, the ability to move large objects and make these kinds of building projects? And ancient man, if you will, was much smarter than we give him credit for. 
And so they've, they've actually found uh, remnants of ziggurats like this in this area of the world. And when you're talking about the Mesopotamian area, you're talking about modern Iraq and modern Iran area. And they've, they've found that when they, when they dug these up, archaeologically speaking, they even found signs of the zodiac connected to these ancient ziggurats. And so these were buildings that were built, but they seemed to, to have a religious purpose. They seem to have an urban purpose, man uh, getting together around a building project, but they seem to have a religious purpose as well. Some scholars believe that the purpose of an ancient ziggurat like this was to, in some way, parallel a sacred mountain. If you didn't have a mountain immediately available where they would worship gods and goddesses on high places, they would build a structure where they could reach up to the heavens, if you will. And so a lot of the uh, paganism, polytheism, pantheism, and a lot of world religions that you find today, expressions of worshiping the creature rather than the creator that's blessed forevermore, Romans chapter 1, find their origins in Babylonianism. They find their origins in ancient Babylon. They find their origins in Nimrod and in the idea of rebelling against God. They find, they find their origins in a pantheon of gods and goddesses, not just the one true God, not, not a monotheism, uh, the worship of the one true God, but polytheism. And in ancient Babylon, and then in other cultures that came down the pipe, if you look at ancient Greece, if you look at Rome, what they had is they had a pantheon of gods and goddesses. And they, these gods and goddesses were often tied to fertility and the weather and that kind of thing. And what you'll see is you'll see there's, there's um, kind of a symmetry that goes throughout history of similarities between these gods and goddesses uh, coming down the pipe of history. And the names change from Greece to Rome, but the goddesses and gods are roughly the same. And if you appease them and you, you somehow you know, make them happy, if you will, then you get blessings of your crops and your herds and, and that kind of thing. And so the people, they end up at this place and they become very inventive and they decide that they're going to make bricks and they're going to make mortar and they're going to start to build. And they said, look at verse 4, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name. In Genesis 6-4, there were men of renown. In Genesis 10-9, as we've already looked at uh, Nimrod, he was a mighty hunter. Some people equate that phraseology with he was a man of renown and even tie this back to the early giants and so forth. And so here's what they said. They said, let us make the product and let us build for ourselves a city and the tower, look at verse 4, whose top will reach into heaven. And so this is where some, as, as you begin to look at the Bible, people say, well, there was a spiritual dimension to this particular undertaking. They felt like somehow they could reach up to God. Maybe they didn't literally believe that they could go up to heaven. There's been some extreme writers that think that by building this kind of structure, maybe they were thinking they could storm the gates of heaven and in a coup almost take over. I don't, I don't think that that was necessarily what they were thinking. But I think they were, they were thinking somewhat religious and maybe something like this. If Nimrod was bent on rebellion, and we know that he was, and if he was in some sense a hunter of souls, and if he used false religion to somehow um, bring people together, you could see the purpose of the structure 
The purpose of the structure is to unify. The purpose of the structure is to bring a group together that's not only uh, centralized around a building project, but they are centralized around a belief system. Hear me well now. This is the form of early religion away from the one true God. Because religion tends to polarize people around a set of ideas. Whether they're true or not, you all know, if you've studied world religions or cults or isms, people tend to polarize around a religious concept or idea. And right now, since the world all has the same language, they speak the same words, and now they put their hands to the same project, and if that project is anti-God, you can begin to see what the world is heading towards according to the book of Revelation. They're heading towards a one-world religion, a one-world government, where people can polarize around a project that seems to be good for the benefit of mankind. Please hear this well. But they are shaking their fist at God. And in fact, I mentioned to you when we studied Revel, uh, excuse me, Genesis 10 that we can see that Babylon does not just stop in the early pages of the Bible, but we follow Babylon all the way through the Bible. We follow Babylon in the plain of Dura in, in Daniel chapter 3 when Nebuchadnezzar decides to make what? A colossal, what does he make? 90 foot tall statue that seems to be made to himself. And what does he want everybody to do from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people? When the band plays, Nebi says, bow. And that's where we get the uh, VeggieTales, hey boss, there's three Hebrew dudes that you hired and they're not bowing, right? They're not with the program. And then in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is walking out on his porch and he says, ha ha, look, this is the great Babylon which I have made. You see, Babylon's always got this thing about pride. And Nebuchadnezzar, while the word was still in his mouth, God said, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, I got news for you. Sovereignty is taken from you and you're going to grow some feathers and long nails. You'll be able to play electric guitar with, and just kidding. And for seven seasons, You'll be out and you'll be eating like an animal and you'll go mad in your mind. This has been the, the um, testimony of Babylon. Not atheist, just self-worship. The worship of idols. A common cause, a common project. Uh, a one world solution. But we don't need the God of the Bible. We'll do it together come let us make bricks let us make mortar come let us make a huge ziggurat let's make something very religious something that we can polarize around an idea a concept some people even see in this the all-seeing eye concept and we'll we'll make this thing our focal point we'll make this thing our community celebration and and together we will build we'll make a city for ourselves. We'll make a tower. Look at verse 4. Come let us build for ourselves. It's not for God's glory. It's for ourselves. It's a city. It's a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. Man is famous about wanting to put his name on things. Have you noticed? A building gets built and a name gets put on a plaque. This is dedicated in honor of so-and-so. And the person who gets the dedication steps back and really enjoys that, right? Yeah. But you know, there's only one problem with dedicating buildings to man. When you dedicate a building to a man, it seems that that's what drove the project. 
If you dedicate something to God, have you noticed whatever you dedicate to God, you seem to get extra blessings. Whenever you dedicate something to yourself, you get in trouble. Whenever you make it about me and my glory, that's when you get in trouble. This is the problem with Babel. It's confusion. And so they want to make a name for themselves. They want to, some writers think this connotes a monument. They want to make a monument. And here's their reasoning, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, what God said in Genesis 9-1 is, I want you to go abroad. I want you to spread out. I want you to populate the earth. So this project is actually rebellion. And some people would say, but wait a minute, isn't it a good thing that people are together, that people are singing? Maybe this is where the original song came from, We Are the World, We Are the Children. It sounds good. I mean, it's a moving idea. I like it personally. In fact, I think a lot of us would long that the world would be one, but it depends upon what the world's oneness is around. Unity centered in a lie is disastrous. You can have people on the same page going towards the same goal, but if that goal is false, if that goal will ultimately bring spiritual bankruptcy, then the goal is not good, you guys. So unity for the sake of unity is not necessarily a good thing. Unity around the sake of truth, and of course I would say there's, there's a case to be made that we, of course we want to get along with, with people, but ultimately we're concerned about more than just temporary structures and generations. We're concerned about what as Christians? Eternity. You know, just in this last week, I've heard about three people that have passed away that I somehow have a connection with. And that's my concern, is temporary structures and ideas that remove God from the equation can sound good, but they can be stuffed with a big fat lie. And so they didn't want to be scattered. They didn't want to do what God said, so they, they, they uh, kind of rally around this structure, this city. Part of it's a religious motivation. Part of it's around uh, the idea of uh, a society coming together. And so this is what they do. Uh, a ziggurat. Um, the most famous ziggurat of all is the one at Babylon. It was known as the house of the foundation of heaven and earth. It was to be a place of contact between man and God, or so they said, or with one another. In fact, some of the inscriptions found on these structures speak of that which will reach into heaven or whose top is sky high. Was it a way that they could storm heaven, as I suggested earlier? More likely, it was a way to make one's name last or live into eternity. Nebuchadnezzar, who restored a ziggurat in Babylon, records in a commemorative inscription, this is what it says, quote, the fortification of Isaglia and Babylon, I strengthened and made an everlasting name for my reign. Here's the thing. Man is trying to find eternity in that which is temporal. Abraham was looking for a city, and he's going to become the hero of the story now. When we move to the end of Genesis 11 and into 12, Abraham will look for a city whose foundations and architect and builder is God. But man looks to build something now, and he wants to make his name last. And look, we all talk about legacy, and we understand that. How many of you have watched TV shows or specials lately where they're talking about downloading people's brains into, into a computer? 
That's how we'll live forever. You know, the technology, it's, it's going to get there and they'll download your thoughts and your brain so you can live on. This is, this is man's desire and we understand it. There's a fear of death. There's a fear of the unknown. This is something I can control. This is something I can build and put my name there. But as heaven looks upon it, heaven says, no, this isn't going to work. In fact, God said, um, to Abram, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, Genesis 12.2. You can either let God make your name great, or you can try to make your name great. How many of you have tried both? It doesn't work, folks. If you're always trying to force your name to be the name above all names, he's not going to share his glory with another. It's just not going to happen. A number of years ago, digging in the plains of Shinar, archaeologists discovered the remains of certain great towers that these early Babylonians had built. Some archaeologists have felt that they may have even found the foundation of the original Tower of Babel. That is very hard to determine. But they did find that the Babylonians built great towers called ziggurats, which were built in a circular fashion with an ascending staircase that terminates in a shrine at the top around which are written signs of the zodiac. Obviously, the tower was a religious building intending to expose man to the mystery of the heavens and the greatness of God. That perhaps is what is meant here by the statement that they intended to build a tower with its top into the heavens. I'm reading from Ray Steadman here. They were impressed by its greatness architecturally. That is, it was a colossal thing for men of that day to build, and they may have thus thought of it as reaching into heaven. But they also unquestionably, unquestionably were thinking of its mean, as, it, as it of a means of communication with God, of maintaining contact with him. God is not to be left out, you see, in the city of man. He is there, represented by this tower. But it is something subtle, something tricky. It is God in a box, or God in a tower. As Stedman would put it later in his sermon, Don't call us, we'll call you. We like you in this locale. We're not comfortable with an omnipresent, omniscient God who knows everything. We'd like to localize you here. We'd like to put the parameters around what happens here. And when we need you, we'll call you. Otherwise, we'd prefer you stay out of our business. Do you know, that's what a lot of man-made religion is about. Man-made religion is about controlling God instead of God controlling us. I think that's what this tower is about. I think this tower is about man saying to God, I'll have it my way. I'll settle here even though you told us to go elsewhere. We'll control you. We'll build this building project. We'll make our statement and you'll do it our way. And God says, that's not the way it works. Man-made religion is into stacking bricks because in stacking bricks, we think we're earning points. Man-made religion is based upon a works-oriented system. If I build something, surely I get extra points in heaven, don't I? And God says, no, that's not the way it works. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not bad to have building projects that are for the right reasons, but that's not what this tower is about. And the Lord came down, verse 5, Genesis 11, to see the city and the tower which the sons of men 
had built. Now it seems that the tower is built according to the end of verse 5. They had built it. The city seems to be still under construction. And the Lord came down. When some people look at language like this in the Bible, they say, boy, this seems to be a weird, uh, antiquated way of talking about God. Is God somewhere up there and he has to come down and see what's going on? Are there messenger boys that are updating him on news reports from Babylon? Hey, uh, they, they got the middle of the, the ziggurat done. They're working on the tower now or the top. No, that's not how it is. This is called anthropomorphic terminology. How do you like that? Genesis 11. We have a new character and his name is Abram, which follows an incident here in the Tower of Babel with a man named Nimrod and how he was defiant and saying, hey, we're going to make our own place. We're going to reach the heavens here. We're going to do things against God. We're going to do it our way. And we need to do this before we are disciplined because they say there themselves that let's build up to the heaven. Let's make, let's make a name for ourselves before we are dispersed through the earth. So here man knowingly is disobedient. Uh, Nimrod's name is re- uh, rebellion. And after all that, we have a man now. His name is Abram, comes out of the Ur of the Chaldees or around the area of Babylon, called out by God. And we're told that he was an uh, idol worshiper himself at one point. Now, what I, for myself, I appreciate is that I came from an institution to where we had candles and other artifacts and statues, but that never sat right with me. And throughout my time, God had called me in various ways. I finally came out and I have a relationship with him now. I don't have religion, yet here we have Abram called out by God and he said and God tells him go from your country from your family from your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed which is an incredible to promise someone perhaps Abram had a pantheon of all these idols that were there he may have had this um, void in his heart, says, I know these aren't true, but he has this voice, a manifestation of the true and living God calling him out. The true definition of faith, because he is obedient eventually. And so, Pastor Michael, would you... Yeah. Well, I think Abram, in some ways, is like a type of Noah, right? He's, he's, he, founds, he finds grace in the eyes of the Lord, and it may be that there was something in him that was longing for the true God. We know he came from a family of idol worshipers. But um, I think that there, there are people all over the world, Oscar, who have this same feeling. They're raised in a system. It could be a world religion. It could be, you know, uh, attached to their culture and whatever. And they sense a longing. We've heard testimonies of people in Buddhism and Hinduism who felt oppressed or even possessed by demonic forces uh, who testify to the deliverance of Jesus Christ. And so... Um, Abram responded, you know, we don't know how God spoke to him, but he responded in faith and he, he went out and God didn't even really say, Hey, you know, I'm going to show you the map. He said, just trust me. I'm going to show you where you're supposed to go. And he went by faith. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. 
Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.